Hey everybody, this is Matt with our finale on the Goodness of God series from Psalm 23. Over the past few months, we looked at all the ways that God shows us his goodness from that beloved psalm. And in this pod, we finish up the series talking about the last phrase, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The final promise of God's goodness to his sheep, his people. We've been through all sorts of metaphors of God's goodness, such as his rod and staff protecting us, how he's going to help us when we're stressed out. He's going to help you when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He anoints your head with oil when you need healing and your cup will overflow. Then at the end, he says, oh, and by the way, it doesn't end here on earth. God's going to be good to you even after you die. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what does that mean, dwell in the house of the Lord? Well, it's referring to heaven. But what's heaven and what's so special about it? Now, I thought about this and I realized that in my entire time of leading a small group, pastoring a church, making weekly messages and podcasts over 28 years, I've never once had a talk about heaven. Very odd, isn't it? It's never been the subject of a sermon or a pod or anything. And I think we can get so preoccupied with this world that we focus on what's right in front of us and we miss out on what's to come. So let's get into what is heaven? Ephesians 2, 5 and 7, it says that God made us alive with Christ even when we're dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Now, why is God given us this place with Christ Jesus in heaven or heavenly realms or whatever you want to call it. Why is he saying that he wants us in his family and we're going to live with him forever and ever? Well, the next verse says, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is the ultimate expression of God's goodness. He doesn't just say, I'm going to help you when you're down. I'm going to give you strength when you're weak. I'm going to give you provisions when you lack stuff. I'll help you when you need it. When you're scared, I'll be with you. In addition to all those, he says, I want you to live with me forever. After you die, I want you to be with me forever. Now, why does God do this? He says to show for all ages to come God's goodness to us. God just says, I want you to understand my goodness. It's not time dated. It's not limited to here for your brief life. Even if you live to 90 or 100. No, this is much more. This is going to be for all eternity. Now, everything about heaven that you've seen in movies or TV or a show or in print or on a picture, it's all wrong. Even the Christian movies don't get it right because heaven is in many ways is unexplainable or incomprehensible to the size of our brain. Trying to understand heaven is like my dog trying to understand the internet. You don't have the brain capacity to actually understand how cool, how great, and all the images that we have of heaven are just so far inferior and imperfect that it makes heaven almost sound boring. Let me ask you, when you go and look at the surf of the ocean, the sunrise and sunset over giant mountain peaks with snow-capped mountains and beautiful valleys. And you look at the intricacies of art and flowers and plants and the animals. Does that look boring to you? No. And this is an imperfect world. You think about all the, all the beautiful sights and sounds, tastes and pleasures that God invented. Every pleasure you've ever experienced is because God invented it. And this is an imperfect world. 
Heaven is going to be at a whole nother level because there's no imperfections there. Now, what is heaven? Well, let me summarize it in three phrases that the Bible says. Number one, it's a physical place. It's not like a dream or nirvana or a substance or an existence or metaphorical attitude. John 14, 2 and 3 says, there are many rooms in my father's home. Now, by the way, the word father's home is one of the many terms that he uses to describe heaven. Heaven's called the father's home. It's called paradise. It's called the kingdom of heaven. There are many, many terms to describe heaven. But Jesus is talking about heaven and he says, there are many rooms in my father's home and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now he's talking to his disciples right before he's going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Notice God specifically has a place. If heaven isn't true, Jesus is the greatest liar ever because he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back for you. And his whole life was building up to this. You've got a condo, apartment somewhere in heaven and God is planning the place that he wants you to spend eternity with him. Why? Because he wants his children to live with him forever. So it's a physical place, not just a state of being. Second is that it's permanent. It'll last forever. Second Corinthians 5.1 says it will be a home in heaven that will last forever. Okay, it's going to be forever. And third, it is reserved for only God's family. Heaven isn't for everyone. It's only for the children of God. Now, you get to choose if you want to be a part of God's family. That's the amazing part about it. It's totally up to you. God invites everyone into heaven, but not everyone is going because not everybody is willing to meet the conditions. What's the condition? That you accept God's grace, that you accept his forgiveness, that you realize that you can never get into heaven on your own power. Heaven is a perfect place, and we're not. I stopped being perfect about 10 seconds after my birth, according to my mom. (laughs) So I need a plan to get to heaven. And that plan is God's salvation where Jesus came and paid for all of our sins so we could go. But it's a reserved place only for God's family. Revelation 21, 27 says it this way. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be able to enter. Talking about heaven. Now, what is the Lamb's book of life? It's mentioned several times in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation. The lamb is always a symbol for Jesus. He's the lamb of God who was sacrificed for our sins, like the lamb in the Old Testament. It's the the perfect lamb in Isaiah 53. He's talking about the be sacrificed for our sins. And there is a book of life that if your name's in it, you get in. And if your name's not in it, you don't get into heaven. Now, how do I get my name into the book of life? Well, we do what God says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So I put my trust in God's Son, the Lamb, who sacrificed for us. So I don't have to pay for my sins. He paid for my sins, and I trust it. Then my name gets written in the book of life. Evidently, there's a registration book in heaven. If you got to have a reservation, if you're not on it, oh well. Heaven is not for, in the first place, I, I don't know why anybody who would want to be there or spend their life in God in eternity that doesn't want to spend their life with God now. I mean, think about it. I want to live my life completely apart from God in this life. I want to make my own decisions. I want to disobey whatever God says. I don't think he's right. I know what will make me happy. I don't need to trust God. I don't want to obey him. I want to be my own God. Why would that person then, when they die, All of a sudden say, oh, you know what? I want to spend my eternity with you in heaven forever. It doesn't make any sense. 
If you don't want to live with God on earth, why in the world would you want him for all eternity? Well, maybe because you see the, the other side of it. I don't know. You see, God doesn't actually send anybody to hell. We choose it. A person chooses it. There's one door that says life through Jesus Christ and salvation. That's right there. And then the other door says life separated from the love of God, which is hell. And if I go, I don't want to go, want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. I don't want to believe you. I don't want to trust you. I don't want to obey you. I don't want you to be my Lord. And I'm going to walk out of that door. Who do we blame? To not choose to go to heaven, you have to reject the love of God. You have to reject his grace, his forgiveness. You reject God himself. So why in the world would anyone do that? Why would we reject God? Well, one reason, pride. That's why. Because I want to be my own God. I can do it better than him. I don't want anyone telling me what I should be doing with my life. One of the biggest misconceptions, I'm about to drop a bomb here probably on some of you, or false narratives of Christianity is sin sends you to hell. It's not true. Sin separated us from God, but that's not the end of it. God still reached out to his creation. He set up a whole system of laws and sacrifices in the Old Testament to ultimately point us to a solution, to a savior, to the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus, who bears our sins and everything as our sacrifice. He bore the punishment of sin so that we wouldn't have to. And on the surface, you may be thinking, no, 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 what I do My actions, my bad behavior, my sin sends me to hell. No, it doesn't. No matter if it's murder or lying, greed, adultery, or any other violation of God's commands. Because sin isn't the end. Think about it. When Adam first sinned, when Eve first sinned, that wasn't the end. That was just the beginning. In time, God sent Jesus to die on a cross for you to give you hope as that perfect lamb of God. No matter what sin past, present, or future, you commit, you can be forgiven by simply believing and trusting in Jesus. What sends you away from God, away from heaven, is self-righteousness, thinking you can be your own Savior and Lord. What sends you to heaven is getting a connection with Jesus Christ, because you realize you are a sinner and need intervention outside of you. Let me say it again. You can't be your own savior through your performance and good works. You have to realize you can't do it. You need Jesus. Now, the surprising ramifications of this is moralism and Bible-believing people who attend church, who are good people, who do good things, who are amazing to be around, but are, in essence, super proud And think that God is going to take them to heaven because they are good. That they have done the right things. That they have lived the right kind of life. No. That in essence is actually sending them to hell. Not sin. Because ultimately they are relying on themselves and their works for their relationship with God. Their pride and their good behaviors is their ultimate downfall. You may have never thought of it that way before, but grace from Jesus brings you to heaven and rejection of that grace sends you away from heaven. So it doesn't matter about our behavior because it's not about us because our behavior is never good enough because we are imperfect beings. That's why we need a perfect sacrifice. Now, how is heaven different from earth? 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, and no mind has ever imagined what God has prepared 
for those who love him. You think of the coolest things you could experience in life, the most pleasurable, the most beautiful, the most tasty, the most incredibly enriching experience in life, and God says heaven is better than that. Nobody has ever imagined how cool, how great, and how beautiful, how amazing, how pleasurable it's going to be to live in heaven. And the reason why most people don't want to go to heaven is because everything we've heard about it is wrong. Every movie generally makes heaven totally white. Now, why would a guy who, God who invented color make heaven all white? Okay, you got a fog at your feet. It's like a foot deep, so you can't even see your feet. You're walking around in fog like it's the clouds the whole time, totally wearing white, wearing a white robe. You may have wings, which is not going to happen, and because you're not going to be like an angel. You're not going to be playing a harp. <laughs> Think about it. If that was heaven, what's heaven like, I'd be like, ah, it's okay, God. I don't really need it. Heaven is in no way going to be like anything you've ever seen in a movie. The Bible says you can't even imagine. I can't really explain it because we don't have the capacity. What I can do is it's actually easier to tell you what's not going to be in heaven. So you see what's, you know what's here on earth. And there's a lot of stuff here on earth that you don't like. And it's not going to be in heaven. Revelation 21, 22 to 27, John mentions nine things that aren't going to be in heaven. First, there's no temple there. There's no temple or there's no church building. You don't need it. God's everywhere in heaven. He's right there. Why would we need a special building to go meet with him when you just chat with him? Hey, how you doing? Anytime. It's all over. There's no temple. It continues. There's no sun or moon in heaven. They aren't necessary. Because Revelation says, because God's glory shines bright and lights up everything. He is the powerhouse. There is no sun, no moon in heaven. There are no shut gates in heaven. Why? There's no crying. There's no need to. Nobody has a shut gate. Nobody has a lock. There are no keys in heaven. You're never going to lose your keys because nobody ever locks anything in heaven. There are no locks because nobody commits crimes in heaven. There's no gates. Gates are built for protection. You don't need any protection. Nothing's locked. There's no sin there. There's no shut gate. Then it says there's no night there. You don't need it because you're never going to be tired. You don't need to sleep. There's nothing impure or unclean in heaven. Everything is pure. You don't have to filter your water or purify your air. Your body is pure. Everything is pure and clean. It says there's no immorality, no shame in heaven. Can you imagine living the rest of your life without ever feeling shame? How great would that be? No guilt, no regrets, no shame. The Bible says that heaven is a shame-free zone. That emotion it doesn't exist. No one ever feels ashamed of anything. Nobody ever feels inferior or insecure in heaven. Continues, there's no deceit in heaven. Everybody tells you the truth. You can't lie. There's no possibility of a lie in heaven. Because Jesus said, I am the truth, and his followers walk in truth. There are no lies, no deceit in heaven. Somebody tells you something in heaven, you know it's true. Then it says, only people whose names are written in the book of life are there. That means it's reserved. It's reserved for God's children. Everybody is created by God and everybody is loved by God, but not everybody is a child of God. You have to ask to get into God's family. And when you stepped across that line and put your faith in Christ, you were adopted into the family of God and you were born again into his family. Now, how is heaven different? Well, as we said, there's a lot of stuff that's not there. Well, Revelation 21.4 says, God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow. No more crying, no more pain. All of that has gone forever. That sounds good, doesn't it? I'm in. 
I want a place like that. I want to be there. Why is there pain, death, and sorrow and crying here? Because we don't follow God the way we should. We follow our own things. We hurt each other. We hurt ourselves by making dumb decisions. You get hurt unintentionally and intentionally. You get hurt by other people's decisions. Then there's sorrow. There's death. The wages of sin is death here. But when Christ has paid for all your sins, there's no more. Nobody's ever going to die in heaven. There will never be a funeral. No grief. No crying. You live the life of chronic pain. Some of you are maybe in that right now. You've been going through it for years. Guess what? In heaven, no pain. Oh, that's sweet. You know, I made a list. Things I'm grateful for that won't be in heaven. Maybe you can make your own list up sometime. It's, it's interesting. For me, there's no accidents, no aches, anxiety, acne, ants. I hate ants. There's no bullies. I was bullied so bad as a kid. Broken hearts, bad hair days. Baldness. I threw that in for some people. I don't really care. I shave my head. I like my hair real short. But some people don't like it. <laughs> There's no cancer. The C word. No crime. No car trouble. No cavities. Oh, no more trips to the dentist. No cellulite. No dead ends. No delays. No dirty dishes or diapers. No dementia. Everyone's going to be sharp. No earthquakes or errors or failures or garbage or hunger or irritations, insecurities, injustice or indigestion. I hate indigestion. Get you in the middle of the night, can't sleep. Oh, it's awful. No keys to misplace. <laughs> no lawyers. Oh, praise God for that one. I'm not picking on lawyers, but the Bible says, you know, there's not going to be any preachers there either. <laughs> there's going to be no police because you don't need them. No misunderstandings or miscommunications, or mosquitoes. Imagine having a conversation with someone of the opposite sex and there's no miscommunication. <gasps> Be a miracle. There's no nose hair. <laughs> Ear hair. You know what? It grows. You know what's weird? The older I get, I, I, I have this theory. Like, I never had this as a kid, but I'm over 50 now, and I swear, all of a sudden, I get these hairs near my ears, and I'm like, what the heck? Where did they come from? Is this something of old age where you just, all of a sudden, your ear hair, and it grows so fast, and my nose hair, like, grows like crazy. It's like five times faster than the hair on the top of my head, and I don't understand it. Where is this coming from? Maybe it's something with old age. I don't know. I haven't looked up in the internet. I'm just, I just thought about that just now. I'm glad there's going to be none of that. There's no prejudice in heaven. No political campaigns. No politics. <gasps> Nobody trying to gain control. No quarrels. No racism. No refugee camps. Or even receding hairlines. No sales calls. Oh, no telemarketing. No traffic. No taxes. Oh, that's a good one. No worry, no wars, no weeds. I'll stop there. You get the point. <laughs> the bottom line is we know that heaven is going to be great for what will not be there, as well as the stuff that we don't understand that will be there. Because we're not under, capable of understanding everything, but we are capable of understanding what won't be there. So what's going to happen in heaven? Well, 
couple things. First, we're going to be reunited with those who love Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, it says, After we are alive, are left, and we'll be caught up together with the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. So we're going to meet those who have gone before us. And second, in heaven, we'll be rewarded with our faith, hope, and love. And Jesus talked about rewards an awful lot. Many of his stories, his parables, are about the rewards you're going to receive in heaven. And the Bible tells us that we'll be rewarded for our faith, for our hope, and our love, and our service. Now, let me explain one significant difference. Salvation in heaven and rewards in heaven are two different things. Salvation is by grace. It's nothing to do with yourself. You simply say, Jesus, do it all. You know what? You can't earn your salvation. There's no good works there. And you're just there. The, the only way you get into heaven is through God's grace. So you put your faith in his goodness. But the rewards are the things that God's going to give back to you that you've earned for doing all the good things in your life that made your life count. You see, you can waste your life in a lot of ways. You can spend your life or you can invest it. John 12, 26 says, The Father will honor and reward anyone who serves me. Hebrews 10, 35, Don't throw away your confidence. Trust Remember the great Lord it will bring you. This is so much more to heaven than, than we just get a small glimpse of it. You know, the night before Jesus went to the cross, he, he gathered the 12 close disciples and he said this to him, John 14, Let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And that where I am, there you may be also. Thomas said unto Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I'm betting my life he was telling the truth. I believe it. What are you betting your life on? If you've never opened your life to Christ, you need to do it. And if you have opened your life to Christ, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? What are you now doing to prepare for the inevitable? Even when you know you're going to spend the vast majority of, of, after your time in eternity, most of us never pay attention to the eternity issue. We live 100% for the here and now. Because everything's here. But you know what? What we do now isn't going to matter probably in five minutes or in a year much less 50 years, much less for eternity. So what are you wasting time on? Reading things that don't matter, watching things that don't matter, listening to things that don't matter, talking about things that don't matter, listening to people who don't matter. Start living for things that last. Know what lasts and know what doesn't last and invest your life in the things that are gonna last forever because that's where you're gonna spend your time in heaven where all those things are. Well, that is the end of our Goodness of God series on Psalm 23. After we took a brief glimpse at heaven, because it's really hard to talk about it because we don't exactly know what's going to be part of it because we can't understand it. And it's really the absence of things that we can understand fully that makes it amazing. So I'm glad you stayed with me through this whole series where we dissected Psalm 23. And I hope it encouraged you in some way with all of the metaphors of God's goodness that he has for our life. Next week, we're going to start our brand new series about happiness, about joy. 
about the habits that we need to have to get happiness. Because we all need to stop being so grouchy and experience some joy in our lives because life is short. It is too short to be negative. It is too short to waste your time complaining. So I hope this series blessed you. I know it blessed me. And so have a wonderful week and I'll see you in the next pod.